0: chapter 11 of don o'hara the girl who laughed this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by leanne howlett don o'hara the girl who laughed by edna ferber chapter 11 von gerhard speaks Of von Gerhard I had not had a glimpse since that evening of my hysterical outburst. On Christmas Day there had come a box of roses so huge that I could not find vases enough to hold its contents, although I pressed into service everything from mason jars from the kitchen to hand-painted atrocities from the parlor. After I had given posies to Frau Nirlanger and fastened a rose in Frau Knopf's hard knob of hair where it bobbed in ludicrous discomfort, I still had enough to fill the washbowl. My room looked like a grand opera star's boudoir when she is expecting the newspaper reporters. I reveled in the glowing fragrance of the blossoms and felt very eastern and luxurious and popular. It had been a busy, happy, work-filled week in which I had had to snatch odd moments for the selecting of certain wonderful toys for the Spalpeens. There had been dolls and doll clothes and a marvelous miniature kitchen for the practical and stolid Sheila, and ingenious bits of mechanism that did unbelievable things when wound up for the clever, imaginative Hans— I was not to have the joy of seeing their wide-eyed delight, but I knew that there would follow certain laboriously scrawled letters filled with topsy turvy capitals and crazily leaning words of thanks to the doting old auntie who had been such good fun the summer before. Boarding-house Christmases had become an old story. I had learned to accept them, even to those obscure and foreign parts of Turkey which are seen only on boarding-house plates and which would be recognized nowhere else as belonging to that stately bird. Christmas at Knopf's had been a happy surprise, a day of hearty good cheer and kindness. There had even been a Christmas tree, hung with stodgy German angels and pfeffernus and pink frosted cakes. I found myself the bewildered recipient of gifts from everyone, from the Knopf's and the Aborigines, and even from one of the crushed-looking wives. The Aborigine, whom they called Fritz, had presented me with a huge and imposing lebkuchen, reposing in a box with frilled border ornamented with quaint little red and green german figures in sugar and labelled nuremberg in stout letters for it had come all the way from that kuchen famous city the lebkuchen i placed on my mantel-shelf as befitted so magnificent a work of art it was quite too elaborate and imposing to be sent the way of ordinary food although it had a certain tantalizingly spicy scent that tempted one to break off a corner here and there on the afternoon of christmas day i sat down to thank dr von gerhard for the flowers as prettily as might be also i asked his pardon a thing not hard to do with the perfume of his roses filling the room for you i wrote who are so wise in the ways of those tricky things called nerves must know that it was only a mild hysteria that made me say those most unladylike things i have written nora all about it she has replied advising me to stick to the good fellow role but not to dress the part "'so when next you see me I shall be a perfectly safe and sane comrade in petticoats, "'and I promise you no more outbursts.' "'So it happened that on the afternoon of New Year's Day von Gerhard and I gravely wished one another many happy and impossible things for the coming year, looking fairly and squarely into each other's eyes as we did so.' "'So,' said von Gerhard, as one who is satisfied, "'the nerfs are steady to-day.' What do you say to a brisk walk along the lake shore to put us in a New Year frame of mind, and then a supper downtown somewhere with a toast to Max and Nora? You've saved my life. Sit down here in the parlor and gaze at the crepe paper oranges while I powder my nose and get into some street clothes. I have such a story to tell you. It has made me quite contented with my lot. The story was that of the Nirlanger's. And as we struggled against a brisk lake breeze, I told it, and partly because of the breeze, and partly because of the story, there were tears in my eyes when I had finished. Von Gerhard stared at me, aghast. "'But you are crying,' he marveled, watching a tear slide down my nose. "'I'm not,' I retorted. "'Anyway, I know it. I think I may blubber if I choose to, mayn't I, as well as other women?' "'Blubber?' repeated von gerhard he of the careful and cautious english but most certainly if you wish i had thought that newspaper women did not indulge in the luxury of tears they don't often haven't the time if a woman reporter were to burst into tears every time she saw something to weep over she'd be going about with a red nose and puffy eyelids half the time scarcely a day passes that does not bring her face to face with human suffering in some form "'Not only must she see these things, but she must write of them so that those who read "'can also see them. "'And just because she does not wail and tear her hair and faint, she popularly is "'supposed to be a flinty cigarette-smoking creature who rampages up and down the land, "'seeking whom she may rend with her pen, and gazing dry-eyed upon scenes of horrid "'bloodshed.' "'And yet the little domestic tragedy of the Nirlangers can bring tears to your eyes?' "'Oh, that was quite different.' THE CASE OF THE NURLANGERS HAD NOTHING TO DO WITH DON O'HARA, NEWSPAPER REPORTER. IT WAS JUST PLAIN DON O'HARA, WOMAN, WHO WITNESSED THAT LITTLE TRAGEDY. MEIN HIMMEL, ARE ALL GERMAN HUSBANDS LIKE THAT? NOT ALL. I HAVE A VERY GOOD FRIEND NAMED MAX. OH, MAX. MAX IS AN ANGEL HUSBAND. FANCY MAX AND Nora WAXING TRAGIC ON THE SUBJECT OF A GOWN. NOW YOU... I? COME, YOU ARE SWORN TO GOOD FELLOWSHIP. AS ONE COMRADE TO ANOTHER, TELL ME... What sort of husband do you think I should make, eh? The boorish Nurlanger sort, or the charming Max variety? Come, tell me, you who always have seemed so, so damnably able to take care of yourself. His eyes were twinkling in the maddening way they had. I looked out across the lake to where a line of whitecaps was piling up formidably only to break in futile wrath against the solid wall of the shore, and there came over me an equally futile wrath, that savage, unreasoning instinct in women which prompts them to hurt those whom they love. Oh, you! I began with von Gerhard's amused eyes laughing down upon me. I should say that you would be more in the Nirlanger style in your large, immovable, Germanshire way. Not that you would stoop to wrangle about money or gowns, but that you would control those things. Your wife will be a placid, blonde, rather plump German Fräulein of excellent family and no imagination. Men of your type always select negative wives. Twenty years ago she would have run to bring you your Zeitung and your slippers. She would be that kind if Zeitung and Slipper husbands still were in existence. You will be fond of her in a patronizing sort of way, and she will never know the difference between that and being loved, not having a great deal of imagination, as I have said before. And you will go on becoming more and more famous, and she will grow plumper and more placid, and less and less understanding of what those commish medical journals have to say so often about her husband who is always discovering things and you will live happily ever after.' A hand gripped my shoulder. I looked up, startled, into two blue eyes, blazing down into mine. Von Gerhard's face was a painful red. I think that the hand on my shoulder even shook me a little, there on that bleak and deserted lake drive. I tried to wrench my shoulder free with a jerk. "'You are hurting me!' I cried. A quiver of pain passed over the face that I had thought so calmly unemotional. "'You talk of hurts. You, who set out deliberately and maliciously to make me suffer. How dare you then talk to me like this? You stab with a hundred knives. You, who know how I—' "'I'm sorry,' I put in contritely. "'Please don't be so dreadful about it. After all, you asked me, didn't you? Perhaps I've hurt your vanity. There, I didn't mean that either. Oh, dear, let's talk about something impersonal. We get along wretchedly of late.' The angry red ebbed away from von Gerhard's face. The blaze of wrath in his eyes gave way to a deeper, brighter light that held me fascinated, and there came to his lips a smile of rare sweetness. The hand that had grasped my shoulder slipped down, down, until it met my hand and gripped it. Na, Is it schon recht, Kingen? Those that we most care for we would hurt always. When I have told you of my love for you, although already you know it, then you will tell me. Hush! Do not deny this thing.' There shall be no more lies between us. There shall be only the truth, and no more about plump, blonde German wives who run with Zeitung and slippers. After all, it is no secret. Three months ago I told Nora. It was not news to her. But she trusted me. I felt my face to be as white and as tense as his own. Nora knows? It is better to speak these things. Then there need be no shifting of the eyes, no evasive words— no tricks, no subterfuge. We had faced about and were retracing our steps past the rows of peculiarly home-like houses that line Milwaukee's magnificent lake shore. Windows were hung with holiday scarlet and holly, and here and there a face was visible at a window, looking out at the man and woman walking swiftly along the windswept heights that rose far above the lake. A wretched revolt seized me as I gazed at the substantial comfort of those normal happy homes. Why did you tell me, "'What good can that do? At least we were make-believe friends before. Suppose I were to tell you that I care, then what?' "'I do not ask you to tell me,' von Gerhard replied quietly. "'You need not. You know. You knew long, long ago. You know I love the big quietness of you, and your sureness, and the German way you have of twisting your sentences about, and the steady grip of your great firm hands, and the rareness of your laugh, and the simplicity of you.' Why, I love the very cleanliness of your ruddy skin, and the way your hair grows away from your forehead, and your walk, and your voice, and—oh, what is the use of it all! Just this dawn, the light of day sweetens all things. We have dragged this thing out into the sunlight, where, if it grows, it will grow sanely and healthily. It was but an ugly, distorted, unsightly thing, sending out pale, unhealthy shoots in the dark, unwholesome cellars of our inner consciences. Nora's knowing was the cleanest, sweetest thing about it. How wonderfully you understand her and how right you are. Her knowing seems to make it as it should be, doesn't it? I am braver already for the knowledge of it. It shall make no difference between us. There is no difference, Don, said he. No, it is only in the story-books that they sigh and groan and utter silly nonsense. We are not like that. Perhaps after a bit you will meet someone you care for greatly. Not plump or blonde or German, perhaps, but still— Doc, you are flippant? I must say those things to keep the tears back. You would not have me wailing here in the street. Tell me just one thing, and there shall be no more fluttering breaths and languishing looks. Tell me, when did you begin to care? We'd reached Knopf's doorstep. The short winter day was already drawing to its close. In the half light von Gerhard's eyes glowed luminous. Since the day I first met you at Nora's, he said simply, I stared at him, aghast, my ever-present sense of humor struggling to the surface. Not not on that day when you came into the room where I sat in the chair by the window with a flowered quilt humped about my shoulders, and a fever sore twisting my mouth, and my complexion the color of cheese, and my hair plastered back from my forehead and my eyes like boiled onions. "'Thank God for your gift of laughter,' von Gerhard said, and took my hand in his for one brief moment before he turned and walked away." "'Quite prosaically I opened the big front door at Knopf's "'to find Herr Knopf standing in the hallway with his Orm, "'and there was a sane and soothing scent of Schnitzel "'and spluttering things in the air, "'and I ran upstairs to my room and turned on all the lights "'and looked at the starry-eyed creature in the mirror. "'Then I took the biggest, newest photograph of Nora from the mantel "'and looked at her for a long, long minute "'while she looked back at me in her brave, true way. "'Thank you, dear,' I said to her. "'Thank you. Would you think me stagy and silly if I were to kiss you just once on your beautiful trusting eyes?' A telephone-bell tinkled downstairs, and Herr Knopf stationed himself at the foot of the stairs and roared my name. When I had picked up the receiver—' "'This is Ernst,' said the voice at the other end of the wire. "'I have just remembered that I had asked you downtown for supper.' "'I would rather thank God fasting,' I replied very softly and hung the receiver on its hook. End of chapter 11